how you're doing today. How many people struggled to wake up this morning? Be honest. I woke up yesterday morning at 3.30 in the morning thinking about things like the working bee, next week's 100-year celebration, the subdivision, all the stuff about the church. And, um, and I, I kind of, I've said this before, but I say it again, I, I tried to remind God that I am available between the hours of 9am and 5pm. And then today I wake up at 5.30 and I was like, woo, 5.30, yeah. And it's like, oh, it's actually 4.30. So we're getting there. Maybe tomorrow it'll be like 5.30 real time and we'll eventually get there. I just wanted to say a few things about next week to help you out and help you understand. If you have children, um, they will not be going straight into the kids' programs. They are going to be with us in the auditorium for the first couple of songs and a couple of other things that we've got to do. Then they're going to go out for the worship and out for the message, but then they will come back in for the stuff that we have planned after that. So don't, don't send them off to the kids' thing. The other thing is you have to register when you get here so that you can get your meal ticket because we've got five different food trucks coming in. I think there's a burger one, pizza one, a Mexican one, and, and an Asian-type one, and then there's real fruit ice cream one. How many people are looking forward to that? There's a whole lot of amusements for the kids as well, um, and for big kids as well as, you know, the ones that are still kids. Trinity tells people quite often that she has three children, Madison, Seth, and me. And so, you know, so you need to get here because this place is going to be jam-packed with people, and so you've got to get here early, um, not, not, and when I say early, I know for some of you that's like five past ten, so let's try and make it like earlier than that, and the coffee will be flowing, so you can talk to people and all that sort of stuff, but we just don't want you to miss out on anything because we've got a bunch of things planned, and so you need to be here on time, get yourself registered, and so that um, we can have a great morning. Is that okay? The other thing, I'll I'll chuck this at the information desk afterwards, but the other thing is um, we also got a a book that Anna Cooper and Trinity have put together that does the 100-year history of the church, and, um, and it's $25. Um, and so you can put your name down for one today or just get one next week if you want to. Um, I'll chuck that down to you, Trinity. And you can have a quick squiz for it if you like. It's just the draft one. It's not the final one. Um, but you can have a look at it. And the last thing I want to say before I get into the message is um, we would love you guys to sign the back of our picture today before you leave. That would be really, really cool for us to keep as a Memory, is that all right? Yeah. Are you ready for this? Yeah. I feel like this has been the series that's just gone on and on, my friends. It just never ends. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, if you know me well enough, I'm the kind of person that I get really excited about starting stuff. I just don't get excited about finishing stuff. Is anybody like that? It's like, yeah, let's get into this. And then you kind of get into it. Yeah, I'm bored now. Can we do something different? Um, and I'm not saying you're boring. Um, it's my problem. Um, and so usually when we do a series, I, I don't like it to be more than four weeks because if I'm honest with you, by the time I get to the third week, I'm kind of like, I'm over it. I want to do something new. And um, so this is week five. But the funny thing is, is I actually think that this is the most important week 
out of all five. And so we've been doing a series called Who Do You Think You Are? Can anybody tell me over the last four weeks who you are? Week one was what? And, and say it like yell. Ambassador. Ambassador. Yeah, we go. Week two was? Masterpiece. There's a whole lot of people catching up. It's like someone says masterpiece, and then someone else goes, eh, masterpiece. It's like, like you knew the answer, but you don't. You're cheating. And week three was? Overcomer. And week four was? Wow, one person. <laughs> awesome. And um, I think it's just so, so important that we understand who we are. You know, like as Anna shared around communion, we, we don't understand who we are in Christ positionally. Not who we are in Christ based on my behavior or based on my actions, but who we actually are in Christ positionally. You, you could have a bad week. You could have sinned this week. You could have done all sorts of stuff this week, but it doesn't change the position that you're a son and daughter of the Most High God. Yes, you need to deal with that. Yes, you need to seek forgiveness. Yes, you possibly need to go and see a counselor to stop that from happening again, but it doesn't change who you are in Christ. And you are an ambassador, which is the highest ranking figure that represents the nation to another nation that they've come from. And you represent all of heaven here on earth. You're an ambassador of God. You are a masterpiece. You're not just mum and dad's idea. You're God's idea created in his image. And because we're created in his image, there's great value in us because of who created us, not how we were created. And then we are also overcomers, which means that we're not just people that kind of hold, you know, skin of our teeth, hang in there. No, no, no. We're more than that. We are overcomers. We are people that, that, that word overcome means to to virtually annihilate beyond recognition. And so there's this power of God that we have, that we can have access to, that allows us to not just get through life, but to power through life so that we can be salt and light, the salt of the earth and the light of the world so that people can see and people can taste and see that the Lord is good and find answers to all of their stuff. But when I ask you the question... What do you think when you hear the name Christian? I wonder what comes to mind. If I'm honest with you, I don't really like the word Christian. Because everybody calls themselves Christians. And you look at some people and go, you're not a Christian. You think you are because you attend a church, but that doesn't mean you are. I prefer the term Christ follower. And the interesting thing is, is that in the early church, and to all of us, the word Christian means all sorts of different things. But in the early time when Christian was a word that came to pass in the, in the early time of the church, it wasn't a compliment. It was a word that they used to mock Christians. It actually comes from the Greek word Christanos, and it was used to mock Christ followers. In other words, they would, they would do things like, oh, you all think you're a little, you're little Jesuses walking around. That's what you think you are. Mini-me's. 
It was a derogatory term. It wasn't, it wasn't something to pin to your chest and go, I'm a Christian. It was a mockery where you, you, you guys think that you're like Christ. You're just little imitators of him. You're not really him. And I'm sure the early church, though, took that as a compliment, yes? Um, you know, if somebody mocked me for being an imitator of Christ, I'd be like, okay, cool, I'm doing all right. But it wasn't a word that was used in a way to be of a compliment by those that didn't know Christ. It was used as a mockery of those who were pursuing Christ. And unfortunately, I think sometimes we've, we, we have created a mockery of the word Christian, not necessarily you here, but by some people who go around calling them Christian, themselves Christians when actually they're anything but. In Matthew 9, verse 9, Jesus says this. He says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax, tax collector's booth. And he said this to him, follow me and be my disciple. And Jesus said to him, Jesus said to him, so Matthew got up and followed him. I want you to notice something here. Jesus says to him, follow me. He didn't say, I want you to believe like I believe. I think most people think, oh, I'm a Christian because I believe what God believes. But Jesus here doesn't call him to be a Christian. He calls him to be a disciple. He calls him to follow him. He says, I don't, I'm not asking you to believe what I believe. I'm asking you to follow me and be my disciple. Jesus didn't say, hey, would you be a Christian, or would you believe what I would believe? Would you go to church with me? Would you follow a whole set of rules about what you can and can't do? He didn't say anything like that. He said, would you be my disciple? He said, would you leave what you have here, right here, and become my disciple, my follower? Who do you think you are? You, you are a disciple. You're not a Christian so much as that you are a disciple, you are a follower of Jesus. He calls us to follow him. It's more than believing what he believes, it's doing what he did. It's imitating the very things that he did. The word uh, disciple in the Greek means to be a learner or a pupil or a, or a follower of Christ. In other words, someone who copies what the person is that they're following. I think one of the greatest compliments that you can get as a parent is when you hear yourself and your children, as long as it's good things that you're hearing in them and not the things where you're losing the plot. Yes? It's like when people, it's the greatest compliment Seth ever receives when people tell him, you're just like your dad. He doesn't think so, but it is. Jesus is, is not saying, I want you to believe what I believe. Jesus is asking you and I and saying, I want you to live like I lived. I want you to love like I loved. I want you to do what I did. I want you to follow me. He's not asking you to believe what he believes. He's asking you to live what he lived. That's what a disciple is. It's not someone who follows beliefs but somebody who follows the example of a life and does what Jesus did. You are a disciple if you know Christ and you've given your life to him. You are a disciple of Jesus Christ. You're not just a Christian. You are a 
disciple. You are one who lives like Jesus lives, who loves like Jesus loves, who's going to do what Jesus did because of what he did for your life and the price that he paid for you and I so that we could become his followers. You are a disciple of Jesus. It's not something that you become, it's something that you are. The moment you give your life to Christ and you say, hey, forgive me for my sin, I'm going to follow you, you have become a disciple. Are you with me? And Jesus is calling us, and I believe that Jesus is calling the church worldwide to not promote so much what we believe, but let's start to live how Jesus lived. Let, let's, let's be imitators. Let's become Christians. Let's become little Christ. Let's become mini-me's, where when people see us and our actions and our behaviors, they go, oh, that's a Christ follower, not because of the words that come out of their mouths, but because of the way that they live their lives. And disciples, the first thing that a disciple does is a disciple finds a need and they meet it. A disciple finds a need and meets it. Jesus was telling a story about a man that got beaten up on the side of the road and, and um, he was left in the gutter and the, and the priests came past and the priests basically walked to the other side of the road and walked past him and somebody else came past him and saw him and did the same thing and walked to the other side of the road and, and then he talks about how the Samaritan man comes along and, and, and if you understand anything from those times, the Samaritans were considered second-class citizens by the Jews. They, they didn't want anything to do with them in any way, shape, or form. But the Samaritan comes along, we pick up the, the, the story in Luke 10 that says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. I didn't realize that that's how you treat wounds, oil and wine. Seems a bit weird, doesn't it? I'm just talking out loud. Because sometimes when I read the Bible, I read that and I go, I've never thought when I've got a cut on my leg, I'll put a bit of oil and wine on that. It's not in our thinking, is it? I just find it interesting. Okay, It's not... Powerful, it's just weird. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, and he said, look after him, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And then Jesus says, right at the end of the story, he says, go and do likewise. In other words, go and do what the Samaritan did. The priest should have done it. The other guy should have done it, but they didn't do it. And I'm trying to tell you that if you are a disciple, if you are a follower of Christ, do likewise. Do the same thing. Find a need and meet it. Go and do likewise. You are a disciple, and disciples go and do likewise. But if I'm honest with you, I'm a little bit like the priest and the other guy, where I can see a need and kind of walk straight past it. You shouldn't be like that. You're a pastor. Well, you shouldn't be like that. You're a Christ follower. I can be driving along on the motorway or the road, and you can see someone, you know, struggling to change a flat tire, and, and I just smile and wave as I go past 
I, I know I should stop, but I don't stop. Or else I see maybe an, an elderly couple struggling with their groceries at the supermarket or whatever, and you, and you see it, but you kind of just keep going past it. I, I think we see all sorts of needs at times in our lives where we don't stop and help, but we, we tend to walk past it. And, and I have to ask this question, is, is this because we're horrible people that we do this? No, I don't think it's because we're bad people. I just think that we're busy people. And we get so busy with stuff in our own worlds that we fail to put buffer in our lives to be able to help the needs that we see around us. We're so busy meeting our needs and our kids' needs. And, and, and look, I'm not bagging any of us out for that, but the thing is, is that we, we need to make sure that we have buffer in our world to help out those needs that we see around us. And Jesus was just like this. Jesus, the disciples rock up. Someone needs to wash the feet. Disciples are coming in the room. Someone needs to wash their feet. And Jesus is like, I'll do it. I'll wash their feet. Now, you have to understand, he never, ever should have been washing their feet. That was just like the biggest no-no in all the Jewish culture for Jesus to get down and wash their feet. But Jesus saw a need... And he meant it. People were hungry. I'll feed them. I'll do it. Bring me, bring me those fish and those bread. We'll pray. We'll feed them. Jesus was like, I, I can do it. Children were lonely. That's cool. They can come and sit on my lap and play with me. And, and the disciples are like, okay, kids, leave them alone. And he says, don't stop the little children from coming to me. Kids wanted to hang around with him. Kids, kids don't want to hang around with people that are boring, yes? Yes? Last night, we had the Coopers over at our place, and, and, and I forgot. I, I forget generally what it's like to have little children around. I love having little children around, but I forgot that if you start something with them, they expect you to continue it for the next 24 hours. And so I tickled Avery, and, and we had a little bit of a tickle thing going on there for about you know, 10 minutes or so, and then I'm like, I, I, I've had enough. And then she's like, Again, again. And then it was like, we had dinner, and then after dinner, let's play Tickle again. No, I don't want to play Tickle again. You know, they just want to go and go on. I remember Madison used to do that thing where she'd hold my hands, and they'd climb up your body, and they flip over, and then they flip back again. You know what I'm talking about? I, I would give you an example today, but it's just, it's just not going to work. Um, and then and I'd, you, know, you do it about 10 or so times, and then they're like, again, again. It's like, no, I don't want to do it again. It's like... They just keep coming. Kids don't rock up to people that aren't meeting needs. And Jesus here, Son of God, you know, the one who walks around healing the sick, seeing the blind eyes open, deaf ears hear, raising the dead, casting out demons. And he's like, I can wash feet. I can feed people. I can play with kids. You know what I think the problem is? Is when we hear find a need and meet it, we think it's find a miraculous need and meet it, and we think that's too hard. But Jesus met all sorts of practical little needs that you and I can meet as well. And he even said this in Matthew 10, 42. He says, if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. Jesus is saying, hey, just, just a cup of cold water 
and you're doing the business of a disciple. Just a smile on your face as somebody walks through the door and you're doing the business of a disciple. And here's the great news, that as you find needs and meet them, he says there's a reward that's coming to you. And it can be as something as simple as a cup of water. It can be as something as simple as a hello. It can be as something as simple as a please or a thank you. Or just meeting a simple need to encourage someone. There's a reward coming to those who meet people's needs. And it can be the smallest of things. It doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to be message. It can just be a little thing of encouragement like, hey, man. This morning, Saskia, you sung brilliantly. Thank you. Someone texted me last week, and I passed it on to the Revive Kids team out the back. A parent texted me and said, I just want you to know, the program they're running for the kids out there, I was out there today, and it's amazing. And so I sent that on to the team. Why? Because they need encouragement. You meet, find a need, and you meet it. Do you think that we could this week find a need and meet it. I think we could find a need and meet it. I think that's what disciples do. They look for opportunity to meet the needs of those around them. The second thing that a disciple does is it finds a hurt and it heals it. It finds a hurt and it heals it. In Matthew 9, 35, it says this, then Jesus made a circuit of all the towns and villages, and he taught in their meeting places and reported kingdom news and healed their diseased bodies. Listen to this. Healed their bruised and hurt light. Bruised and hurt light. I think it's so important that we can recognize bruises in people because so often it's so easy to see somebody's life who's split at the seams and the blood is pouring out of it. But bruising is bleeding under the surface. It's what you can't see. And there are a whole lot of bruised people in our world that need to be healed of the bruises that they are suffering. You see, Jesus didn't just raise the dead and heal the sick. No, no, no. He heals their hurt lives and their bruised lives. How did Jesus do that? He just got into their lives. He just got involved. That's why he went and ate with the sinners and the prostitutes and the tax collectors. He didn't just hang out with the, the followers all the time. He hung out with those who had bruised lives and hurt lives. The woman caught in adultery and they wanted to stone her, but Jesus defended her from them, but then said, hey, go and live your life and sin no more. Peter denied Christ three times before he was hung on the cross, and Peter was one of his closest friends and closest followers. But Jesus then restores him a little later in the story by saying, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. He found a hurt in Peter, and he healed it. The sinful woman who comes into the meeting that he's having and, and breaks the alabaster box of perfume all over his feet and then washes uh, his, his feet with her hair and all that, which is like 
the worst thing that she ever could have done based on their culture at the time. If you read that story, you'll see that all the Pharisees, all the religious people that were in that room turned their back on her because she should never have been in the room. But Jesus says to them, look at her. What she has done will be talked about through all of history. And me just mentioning it today is a fulfilling of that promise that he promised her. Why? Because he saw the hurt in her, acknowledged the the, the sinfulness of her and the worship of her, but then he restored her while everybody else turned their back on her. Jesus found a hurt and stepped into it and he healed it. And with Peter, he found a hurt because he had denied Christ and he felt so guilty and so ashamed by it. But Jesus didn't punish him for it. Jesus restored him for it. He found his hurt and he didn't punish him, but he healed him. And I think there are so many people like that, even possibly in this room right now, where you feel beaten down and you don't think that you're worthy enough and you don't think that you're good enough and you don't think that you're any worth or any value or there's nothing that you can really do, that your life is just a mess and God doesn't think highly of you in any way, shape or form. But I'm telling you, over the last four weeks, Jesus has come into this room and he's told you, you're not unworthy and you're not a nobody. You're an ambassador. You're a masterpiece. You're an overcomer. You're salt, you're light. He's trying to tell you that you're not a nobody. He's finding that hurt in you and he's saying, hey, I can heal it because you're not insignificant. You are who I say that you are. And that's what he does. And as disciples, we're going to copy what he does. We're going to be imitators of what he does. And we're going to find hurts and we're going to heal them. It's God that heals. Yes, I get that. But the Bible also says this, that as we confess our sins to one another and pray for each other, that we will be healed. There's confessing our sins to him for the forgiveness of our sins, but there's something powerful that happens when we get into relationship with people that we can trust, who don't judge us for our faults, but pray with us so that we can be healed. And disciples find hurts and heal them. It's something as simple as caring and loving and listening and praying and helping someone. It's not hard. It's easy. And as a disciple of Christ, there are hurts all around us, all around us. And if we don't heal the hurts, who will? If we don't heal the hurts, who will? Mental health in this nation is the most horrific thing that we've ever seen around the world. Mental health is our biggest health crisis in our nation. And we need to be people that are praying for them, that are there for them. We, we, you know, we, we paid out, as a church, just so you understand what, what, what some of your money goes to, last month we, we paid out $3,500 to help get counseling for people that are part of our church family that are hurting, that need God to heal them. Come on, we're not consuming it upon ourselves. We are using it to see other people's lives healed. Why? Because if we don't do it, who's going to? 
If we don't cover the costs of counseling for people that have suffered horrendous abuse in their lives, who will? We find hurts and we heal them. John 13 says this, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, that you are my followers, if you love one another. The third thing that I want to say this morning about disciples is this. It's disciples of Jesus. We're going to do a whole bunch of other things that Jesus asks us to do that don't fit neatly onto a point in a page. (laughs) Shall I read that again? Because it's quite long. As disciples of Jesus, we're going to do a whole bunch of other things that Jesus asks us to do that don't fit neatly into a point on a page. Because I couldn't list everything that Jesus wants us to do. As disciples of Christ, as followers of Christ, we're going to love like he loved. We're going to do what Jesus did. We're going to live like Jesus lived. How are we going to do that? John 10, 27 says this, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. That word follow is the same word for disciple. They hear my voice because they know me, they have relationship with me, and they follow me. They're my disciples. How do we get God to speak to us? How do we get to hear his voice? How do we get to identify that God is talking to us? By having relationship with him and doing what Jesus did, living like Jesus lived, not just believing what Jesus believed, but living how Jesus lived. Then you hear the voice of him speaking to you saying, do this, do that, walk this way, do that. Why? Because you're a follower and followers know his voice. If I'm honest with you, I'm not always very good at listening to God's voice as he directs my life. Sometimes God speaks to me and I say, oh no, I don't want to do that. I think I've shared this story before, but I was going for a checkout once at Countdown, and, and I had a splitting headache, and I'd gone to buy some Nurofen to deal with my headache, and, and God says to me, tell the checkout lady, tell her that, that Jesus loves her. No, I don't want to do that. I have a headache. I want to deal with my headache. I don't want to tell that lady that. Yeah, and you know when it's God, because your heart beats so fast, it feels like you should be calling an ambulance because you're about to have a heart attack. And my heart is racing. And I know, I know God is speaking to me. And I'm like, no, I don't want to do it. I'm just telling you this because I'm just like you. I'm not special. And this is how we are a lot. Yes, I'm not doing it. Tell someone else to tell you. I have a headache right now. You want to meet a need and fill it? How about this need right here? (laughs) I relented, gave in. To him, because I was more scared about what would happen if I didn't do it. And so I just kind of mumbled under my breath as she, as she said, you know, she gave me the receipt. I said, hey, Jesus loves you, and, and started to walk off. And she said, excuse me, can you just wait for a minute? I'm, just, I'm, I'm due to have my break. I'd like to talk to you. Like, <laughs> I don't want to talk to you. I did, hey, I did the bit. I told her that Jesus loves her. I've, I'm out sat on the bench with her as she told me about the passing away of a loved one and just the pain and the suffering and that she was going through. Did my headache disappear? No. My head was still splitting. I hadn't even taken the Nurofen yet. I probably could have filled up a cup with her tears and popped them down, but that would be inappropriate. <laughs> but she just needed to know that, someone, that God loved her 
and I prayed with her. Did she turn up to church? No. Is that why we help people? So that they turn up to church? No. Did Jesus help people so that they would turn up to the synagogue? No. Do we want people to fill this building? Do we want people to come to Christ? Do we want people to become followers of Christ? Absolutely. But we don't serve with agendas. And Jesus never served with agendas. We just love people like he loved them, lived like he lived. We're going to listen to the voice of God and it leads and directs our lives. You, my friend, are in for the ride of your life. Because Jesus one day is walking past the disciples and they're fishing and he says, hey, boys, leave it all and come follow me. And you know what they did? They dropped everything right there and then and took off and followed him. Right in the middle of trying to earn an income to support their families, Jesus says, come follow me. And they ditched it immediately and followed him. Can you imagine the wives' response? Oi, where are you going? You see, when you're a disciple of Christ, he's going to talk to you and you're going to do what he says. And the reason why you're going to do what he says is because he's calling you to make a positive difference in people's lives. You're not becoming a disciple. You are a disciple. Jesus lives inside you. Jesus empowers you, and he gives you the words to say. He gives you the compassion for the people around you. He gives you the ability to speak into someone's life and make a difference for eternity as disciples. And here's the thing. What he is going to ask you to do will sometimes not make sense to anybody around you. And they'll say things to you like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Why would you give up your time like that? Why would you give up your finances like that? Why are you doing this? Sometimes God's going to ask you to do something where you're going to say to yourself, this doesn't make sense. This is not what I've been praying for. Why are you asking me to do this? So when you follow Jesus, it's not about what I want, it's about what he wants. It's about following him. And it's not always going to make sense to those around you, and it's not always going to make sense to you because he's going to call you to do something different. He's going to call you to do things that are countercultural to the world around us. The world around us doesn't tell us to find people's hurts and heal them. The world around us tells us, hey, I've got enough trouble on my own to worry about anybody else's. But here's what I want to tell you this morning. You're not living for the approval of people. We're living for the approval of God. We're not living to please others. We're living to please Him. We're living to follow Him, our living God, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's who we live for. I don't preach on a Sunday morning for you. I preach for the audience of one, Him. I do what he tells me to do, otherwise I get in trouble. We're living for him and what he needs and what he wants. Why? Because our life is not our own. It's been brought by him. And not only that, there's a world out there that needs Jesus. And God's plan, as insane as it is, is for the world to discover Jesus through us. I think he'd be smarter just to come down here and do it himself. 
because I stuff it up a lot of the times. He would do it perfectly. But he chooses to use you and I. And I remember when I was overseas and in Uganda, I remember hearing a story about a, a business guy that was over there and he, he was funding a whole lot of the outreach that they're doing into the slums there. And he'd never actually visited the area that he was going, that he was financing. Awesome that he was financing, but he, he'd never been there and he decided he was going to go and check out and see what they were doing. And he went and he visited this really improv, impoverished area, this slum area. And, and it was just absolutely horrendous. I mean, the area that I went into there, you know, there's raw sewage running through the streets and it's, it's like, it's, we don't know what poverty is in this country. Absolutely impoverished. And he comes across this young girl who's a, who's a nurse and she's, she's got this old man that she found lying in a gutter and she's wiping his wounds and she's washing him down and she's caring for him and, and, and doing all this stuff as he's lying there in the gutter. And he, and he turns to her and he says, this businessman, he says, I wouldn't do what you're doing for a million dollars. And her response to him, I hope is our response today. She said to him, I wouldn't do it for a million dollars either. I do it for Jesus. I do it for Jesus. I do it for Jesus because I'm his disciples. I don't do it for the reward. I don't do it for the money. I do it for Jesus. And I'm just wondering if there's some people in this place where it's like, you know what? I want to find a need and meet it because I'm doing it for Jesus. I want to find a hurt and heal it because I'm doing it for Jesus. I want to live how he lived because I'm doing it for Jesus. I'm not doing it for money. I'm not doing it for the other people around. I'm not even doing it for the fame or the fortune or whatever you think may come your way. I'm doing it because that's what Jesus did. And I'm a disciple. I'm not a Christian. I'm a disciple. I'm a Christ follower. I do what he does. I don't just believe what he says, but I do what he does. And that's who you are. And without trying to sound cruel or horrible or manipulative in any way whatsoever, the reality is if we aren't doing what Jesus does, then we're probably not really a disciple. And that's why that scary scripture is in the Bible where it says, but we prophesied in your name and we healed the sick in your name and we cast out demons in your name. And he said to them, Get away from me. I never knew you. The scary thing is, is we can go about doing all this good stuff, but if we don't have a personal relationship with him, it's all pointless. You see, our personal relationship with him is what drives us to do the good around us. We don't do the good around us so that somehow we get brownie points with God. No, 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 no. We are ambassadors. We are masterpieces. We are overcomers. We are 
the salt and the light of the world. We are disciples. That's who we are. We don't do these things to become that. We already are those things. And because we are those things, because of what He did for us, that's why we do these things around us. And I just wonder in this place if there's some people that are like, you know what? I actually want to become somebody who doesn't just believe what he believes, but lives how he lives. Why don't we just all close our eyes just for a moment? And I want to ask you this morning, as, as Anna said earlier, give yourself an examination right now and really be honest with yourself. Am I really a disciple? Am I really a follower of Christ? Am I really living how he lived? This is not a thing to condemn you or make you feel shameful. It's just an opportunity for us to go, man, there's some areas in my life where I, I actually need to just create some space so I can meet needs of those around me. Or maybe it's just a moment for you to go, you know what? My intention from this day forward is to be a disciple of Christ. It's not about what you haven't done. It's about what you are going to do. And if you're here this morning and you're like, Craig, I'd love it if you would pray for me that I'd be able to be somebody who lives like Jesus lived. That I'd be able to be somebody who finds needs and meets them, that finds hurts and heals them and does a whole lot of other things that God calls me to do. That I'd be able to be somebody that hear His voice and then do what He says. That's what I want to be. That's who I, I may not be that now, but that's who I want to be. And if you're here and you're like, man, would you pray for me that God would help me to become all that he created me to be, then I love you in this moment right now. Why don't you lift your hand? And when I see your hand, I'll ask you to put it down and then we're going to pray for every single person. Awesome, awesome, awesome. You can put your hand down. Why don't we all stand to our feet this morning? And if you didn't put up your hand, but you want prayer, why don't we just, all of us, why don't we just lift our hands to heaven in this place right now? Father, you see the hearts of every single person in this place. Father, I thank you that you don't condemn and you don't shame, but God, you're always about encouraging and edifying and building up and telling us who we can be. And so I pray right now in this moment that there'll be a shift in our spirits from being people that believe what Jesus believes to become people that do what Jesus does, that we live how He lives. Not only do we believe in Him, but we follow His example, that we become Christians, many Christs in our family, many Christs in our workplaces, many Christs in our community, that we too would be able to say, hey, I'm imitating Him as I follow Him in everything we do. God, give people courage this week to do the little things that they can do to meet needs. Give them courage this week to speak to someone who may be bruised and hurting. Give them courage this week to obey the voice of God in whatever situation that they're in. Lord, that we would see just an incredible amount of testimonies come out because there's disciples in this room. And if 12 disciples can turn the world upside down, the disciples in this room can see our community transformed into all that God intends it to be. So help us, God. We want to be followers. We don't always get it right. We struggle at times. All of us do, including me. But our intention is, our pursuit is to become imitators of you. Help us. Help us this week. Help us next week. Help us for the rest of this year and next year and all the years to come. There will be people that find needs and meet them. 
that find hurts and heal them. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Awesome. You guys are phenomenally cool. And um, I don't care what anybody says about you. You're awesome. We'd love you to sign uh, the back of our picture. That would be really, really cool. We'd love you to stick around and um, have tea and coffee and that with us and get to know us. If this is your first time, please fill out the Live Connected card and put it into a Dropbox or hand it in that cafe. You get a free coffee or hot chocolate. We're not, we're, all we're going to do is send you an email that just says, hey, thanks for coming. This is a bit more about who we are. We're not going to bug you or harass you. If you haven't registered for the 100 years, you have to register. You can't just turn up. Make sure you do that today. Even though we've hit our 300 mark, we're going to make some more spaces available. So make sure you register. Otherwise, we'll see you all next Sunday at what time? 9.30. Not 10 o'clock, 9.30. And um, oh, also, just so you know, parking's going to be on the grass next Sunday, not in the car park. So unless you have a special pass, because you're pregnant or you've got babies or you're elderly. All the parking will be down on the grass. We'll have people that will help you get there. But otherwise, we'll see you all next Sunday. God bless. Have a great, great afternoon.